Hey y'all, welcome back to Spiritually Intuitive Sister. I'm your host, your girl, your sis, your friend. My name is Anterica and I'm so grateful for you joining in with me. Here on my podcast, we explore all different aspects of our spiritual journey together one step at a time. Remember, this is a space created to gain divine clarity, wisdom, and guidance together. You don't have to be alone, so join the family and let's grow and learn together. Today's podcast is going to be dealing with sexual trauma. Unfortunately, it is something that we all deal with and it's not comfortable, of course. It is quite intense, right? So spiritually, when you deal with sexual trauma, it like stops a lot of different things. It becomes a hindrance, if that makes sense. If you ignore your past pain or your past trauma, if you try to pretend like it didn't happen, you wind up somewhere, somehow in the future, really hindering yourself or creating a blockage that that's not necessary. Today's intentions that I pulled was about past life, lapalazuli, and then croazite. I hope I said that right. Sexuality, right? And didn't even realize that sexuality and creativity go hand in hand with each other. <sighs> so where do I start? As discreet as I can be, because there are people who are still living who have made different choices that are not favorable to the community. We'll say that. And so I want to make sure that I'm discreet as possible because there are some that have made uh, choices that were not favorable for me or themselves. And I definitely have forgiven and I don't want to cause pain or drama when it comes to them and their family, if that makes sense. But I do have to talk about the things that have happened to me and, you know, the history of it. So I will start off with how I came to understand about the sexual trauma <sighs> that I kept, you know, quiet in my life. So for the longest time, I would have these dreams. And these dreams would start with me opening my eyes and seeing a person in front of me, a guy, in a, or well, I get it, he was a little boy in front of me. And I would close my eyes as tight as I could. And I would feel pain in, you know, my lower abdomen we're not even going to go there. I felt pain in my vaginal area. And then I would open my eyes again and I would see them and I would feel like a pushing against my vaginal area. And the face was like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like the expression on that person's face was so just bare. And it wasn't even a thing that they enjoyed it, if that makes sense. But it was just like staring through my soul, if that makes sense. And then I would close my eyes really tight and then I would open them again and I would see a pamper. And in the pamper, in the seat of the pamper was this bright red blood. And then I would close my eyes again. And in my head, I was thinking, oh my God, I'm sick. Like who would want to touch a baby? Like that's not something that you do. That's not normal. I would open my eyes again and I would see nothing but darkness. Like there wouldn't be any type of face or person or a place that I can set myself in. But I would feel like excruciating pain in my vaginal area, in my stomach, in my lower abdomen to the point where like it didn't feel like cramps. It felt like knives if I could be as blunt as I can, like piercing and trying to push them way, like push their way outside of me. So I would close my eyes again and then I would wake up. And when I wake up, I would wake up with like a, almost like a 
panic attack. I would breathe heavily. My heart was racing and I was like, I felt like I was in a full-fledged fight, if that made sense. And for 13 years, I had the same dream over and over again. And it literally would go in that, you know, form. Like it wouldn't deviate from it. There wouldn't be an added, you know, aspect of it. It would just be that same dream and it would come at night, no matter what I dreamed of, it would come at night, whether it be in the beginning of the night, towards the middle, towards the end. Every single night, I had the same dream of a little boy, his facial expressions, abdominal pain, a pamper with red blood, like bright red blood in the seat of it, and then darkness and then excruciating pain. And I would wake up and I thought, I'm sick. Like something's wrong with me, right? I have to be completely out of my mind. Like there is literally something wrong with me. Why would I be dreaming of this phantom boy who I have never seen in my life? I don't know him. I don't recognize him. I can't put a name to the face, like just some random kid. And then dreaming of excruciating pain, dreaming of bright red blood being the seat of my pamper, like, or in the seat of a pamper, because at the time I didn't realize it was mine. And I honestly thought for the longest, I am fucking sick, like... <laughs> pardon my language but I have to just be real and raw with it something's wrong with me like why am I dreaming of that like of all things to dream what the fuck right so I dreamed this dream this nightmare every day somehow some way it seeped in and it would bother me to the point where I thought am I a pedophile like what the fuck is wrong with me is there like is something wrong with me? Do I have like a addiction or is there like some unspoken for desire to this guy, you know, blood in the pampers and then like vaginal pain? Like I know it sounds crazy, but I literally thought I was going insane because my mindset was like literally what the fuck, right? Like that's the best way I could describe it. So Oh, this is probably one of the hardest podcasts for me. But I remember being 13 and that's when everything kind of came to a head, right? All of the memories, all of the pain, all of the like sick, sadistic thoughts that I had. And it was really just the replaying of the dream. And to me, it was sick and it was sadistic. Like who would do that to a baby, right? And was it me? Was I playing like the key of the boy? Why was I looking up at this kid? I had no answers. And so I decided that it was me. Something's wrong with me. Maybe I like little kids. Maybe I like torture to baby girls. Like I literally was sitting there thinking like I'm fucked up in the head. Like something's wrong with me. And so I remember I started to cut. So in another podcast, I talk about it, but Long story short, I would cut because to me, it would release the pain that I could not talk about. It would release the shame that I could not express to somebody. And it would release the loneliness that I felt when I would be in my thoughts or these memories would or these visions would come to pass. And so I sat in that and I felt like, you know, cutting was some type of comfort to be able to escape reality, to be able to escape uh, the pain or the normalcy, the normalcy that I felt like I did not have or that I had to pretend that I had. I hope that makes sense. So I cut. 
So one day as I'm cutting, I went downstairs and I was like 13. So mind you, I'm like in my parents' house. Let me give you the backstory. I'm in my parents' house. As you guys know from the other podcast, my parents were of the Christian faith. Uh, They were non-denominational. My dad was a pastor. He has been a pastor all my life. My mom was an evangelist. We grew up in the church. I told you guys from the other podcast, we probably were conceived on the altar. Like that's how deep we were in the church, right? So I'm in the house with my parents and my brothers and I have been circling this dark path, if that makes sense. My mindset was I'm going to kill myself because I can't get these thoughts out of my mind. I don't know where they come from. It's not safe to talk to anybody about it. Granted, me and my dad had a great relationship, but It wasn't safe to me to express to somebody that I see a vision of a infant, not a toddler, but an infant being tortured sexually. And that's exactly what it was. So it wasn't safe to talk like that, right? They probably would have put me on medication. I mean, they probably would have had me looking and talking to several psychologists and psychiatrists. And they probably would have wrote me off like they, I don't know. I felt that the quote unquote, they would have, you know, just like ring me and drug me through the mud. And there would have been no going back from that. No type of redemption. So I kept it to myself. I kept it inside. And the only way to be able to express that type of pain that I was feeling and the guilt and the shame that I felt was to cut. Something about cutting on my arm and the opening of the wound, probably going to sound really psycho, but the opening of the wound and the releasing of the blood was releasing like a breath of fresh air to where I could breathe. I mean, I was holding on to this pain, but I could at least take a breath. I could release some of it. You know what I mean? If you don't, I'm no longer in that space, side note. And I understand that cutting is not a place of releasing, but at the time, I'm just trying to express to you the moment and the mind frame that I was into or that I was in, if that makes sense. So I remember being 13 and I had uh, went through my parents' medicine closet and I had took their medication. I mean, I can't even tell you. <laughs> oh man, I can't even tell you the pills that I took, but I went through their cabinet, their, how do you say it? Like we called it a shrunk, right? And I don't know if that's German for like cabinet, but it was a shrunk that was inside of my parents' room. It was like in an entertainment center and you would open the doors, which were mirrors. And they had this one area where they had all of their medication and at the time at 13 I didn't know what the hell my parents were going through I don't know what ailments they had I don't know the medication they had I know there was a bunch of narcotics and health stuff or whatever but at the end of the day I know it was prescription and I knew that I could get into the bottles and so I took two of everything and then one bottle I don't even know what it was but I took 10 of the pills and I put it into a medicine bottle that was empty on the side of I want to say my No, it was my dad's side of the bed. I took one of his empty medicine bottles and I filled it up with all the medication I had stolen because my mindset was, I'm going to take this medicine and it's either going to do one or two things. It's going to finally get me out of the mindset of feeling like I'm alone and feeling like I'm disgusting because to me, I just thought, oh my God, am I really a fucking pedophile? Like this is bullshit. Or it was going to kill me and then it was going to take me out of my misery and I wouldn't have to worry about the feelings that I felt absolute out of this world but probably normal to a lot of people who have committed or not committed but who have attempted suicide or attempted to numb the pain so I took all their medicine I put it inside this bottle and 
I decided that night I was going to go downstairs and I had became MacGyver, right? So I didn't have a knife in my room to cut myself with. But when I would get angry, when I would remember the dreams in the middle of the night, I would wake up and I would start cutting my arms. When my parents, I think my mom asked me one time, what's going on with your arm? And I was like, oh, I had scratches on my arm and she was like scratches I was like oh yeah I don't know I was just picking at my arm or what have you and she was like okay and I remember hiding it from her so when she questioned it I started to cut my body so I would cut under like uh, my clothes like my stomach the inner part of my thighs the back of my arms under my armpit like nuts right my chest anywhere that clothes covered like where clothes were supposed to cover and it was normal, like you wouldn't go out, I don't know, some people, you know, nowadays, but you wouldn't go out showing your breast or you, I didn't wear shorts because I was a heavy set girl. I was fat. I'm not even gonna say I was heavy set. I was a fat little girl. And so shorts were not even a priority. I don't even think I owned a pair of shorts besides gym shorts. And that was for PE and I didn't wear that shit. So like shorts, like area where you would wear shorts or cut off sleeves, I didn't wear those because I was heavy and I was picked at because I was heavy. So I cut in those areas because I always had clothes to cover it. So I went downstairs and I went to go get an actual knife because the things that I used to cut myself, oh my God, it's nobody but God that I don't need like a technic shot or that I didn't have like, you know, blood poisoning or anything of that nature or some type of disease because I became MacGyver. I remember ripping off the antenna, date myself. I know. I totally dated myself, but I remember ripping off the antenna of my TV and I remember taking my remote and smashing the shit out of it to the point to where it got so sharp and it was jagged because of how I ripped it off. I remember using that as a knife to cut on myself because anytime I got angry, I couldn't deal with my anger. I couldn't talk to nobody about it. I would cut. If something didn't go my way or something didn't make sense or I felt like, you know, I was being, you know, rejected, I cut. If I went to school and I was bullied because of my weight or because of the color of my skin, I cut. If I had friends who pretended to be my friends and then turned their back on me for whatever reason. And I mean, honestly, you have those people in your life who they're just, I'm just be honest, they're fucking stupid. And they will definitely just because they can, because the sky is blue, because the grass is green, they'll find a reason not to be your friend or not to like you. And so I cut because it hurt me. Rejection was a big issue for me. So anytime I felt rejected, I cut, right? So one night I had went downstairs, age 13. I keep coming back to this night, but just trying to give you the history of it. I went downstairs and I went to go get a knife and I told myself, fuck this. I am not going to use this little rinky dink MacGyver knife. I am going to go get me a butcher knife or I said a butcher or a steak knife. I'm going to go get me one of those knives that actually cut and I'm going to make sure that I end this shit because I couldn't deal with the pain. I don't know how many people have been to the point of suicide to where they felt like there was no hope to where they felt like there was no point. The pain of being rejected, the pain of being teased, the pain of you know, being lied on shit, the pain of being misused, mistreated was so vast that you felt like it was better that you were not here versus you being here. So let me just give you a side note, right? No one, nothing 
should ever make you feel like you're not valuable, okay? Regardless if you have people in your corner or not, if you're listening to my podcast, trust and believe there is a whole entire spiritual tribe, okay? My tribe, your tribe, our tribe. We are standing in the trenches with you. We are here to help you. We are here to make sure that you make it. Like we truly wanna see you succeed. So don't feel like you're alone. And I know that sounds crazy, but for somebody out there, you need to hear that you're not alone, that you have a whole tribe behind you that wants to see you win. I want you to know that your life is worth it. It's so much more than what people say, than what you say about yourself, than what it looks like. You're valuable. You're valuable here versus on the other side. So don't take your life because of people. You understand? Like, don't go and off yourself because of what they said or what you said about you. I just want to make sure that I say that because it's not worth it. Your life is valuable. You are worth it. There's a reason why you're here. I cannot stress that enough. I wish that there was somebody there at that time in my life when I was in a very dark place that would have told me, hey, you are so worth it to be here. You are so valuable and so needed and so necessary to be here right now. I really wish that there was somebody that would have came and been like, hey, I see you. And to be honest with you, it took a minute, but I remember, I don't even know if she would allow me to say her name, but I'll describe her in a way to where if she ever listens to this podcast, she will know exactly who she is and who I'm talking about. I remember her saying, you don't have to set an appointment with me to talk to me because I see you. You may have to set an appointment with your mom, but you don't have to set an appointment with me. I see you and I want you to know you're worth it to be here. She bought me journals and told me just to write out my feelings, whatever they may be. She told me that if I ever wanted to take time with my mom to let her know and she would clear the schedule for me. Like she was a person who came in and she was like, I see you and I don't want you to go down that road of no return, basically. I don't want you to take your life. Another person who was monumental in my life, I was so pissed at her at the time, but she wind up finding the pills in my backpack because she heard them. And she was like, I mean, granted, this is my translation. These were not her words, of course, but she was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, um... And my mindset was no need to lie to you. I'm finna, you know, do what I need to do to make sure that I can take care of the pain. She took the pills from me. She took the entire bottle from me. I was so fucking pissed at her. But I am so grateful that she saw me and she saw me calling out for help. Whereas to me, I felt like mind your business. I'm going to do what I need to do. So I want to say that I'm grateful to both of those women because they didn't have to be there, but they definitely were there and they followed up and they took care and they made sure that they let me know that I was worth it when I felt like I wasn't. When I tell you I went into a dark space in my life at the age of 13, I was diagnosed with thalassemia. I was told that, you know, any child that I had had to be ran through tests and it was a a 90% chance that they would not survive. I was told that if I decided to go and marry somebody, I needed to make sure that I did a blood test on them first to make sure that we were compatible because if we both had thalassemia, our kids were doomed. They would not make it past the first years of their life. So it was a lot 
on one to take in. It was a lot of sexual trauma that had happened to me growing up that I had. I was trying to figure out how the fuck do I deal with this at 13. It was a lot of emotional and mental abuse that I dealt with. I dealt with physical abuse. And I know people who think they know me would be like, you were so fucking tough. Like, how did you let anybody beat on you? But yeah, I dealt with some physical ass abuse. Like I put myself in a lot of different positions that allowed those things to happen. And I have to take ownership where it is. Granted, there are some people who get into situations and it's not their fault. So let me get back on topic because I can go on a tangent about all of those, but I have podcasts for that, right? So back to 13, I go downstairs and I went to go look for a knife that would cut. I went downstairs and I was coming back upstairs and my mom was coming downstairs. Now, mind you, how she went and found me and talked to me, I will never know how God did that because to me, she don't like me. (laughs) She don't care nothing about me. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's exactly how I felt and have felt, right? So I'm coming up the stairs and I have this white towel wrapped around my right forearm where I had been cutting because I was so angry. I was so pissed. I just wanted the pain to stop. I wanted to stop seeing those images when I closed my eyes. I wanted to stop seeing those images and feeling those images. I wouldn't just see it, but I felt the pain and I wanted it to go away because I felt sick. Like I couldn't fathom how I could even come up with these thoughts. And so my mom, she was like, of course, yeah, she was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, nothing. And she was like, what's wrong with your arm? And I said, nothing. And she was like, well, why do I see blood? And I'm thinking, there's no fucking way this lady sees blood because I have wrapped the shit out of my arm. But my arm had been bleeding so bad that it bled through this hand towel, which was white. I probably should have got a red one, but hey, I wasn't thinking I was 13 shit, you know, whatever. And so I looked down and I'm like, nothing. And she was like, no, 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 no. We're not doing the nothing thing what's going on with you? And so me, because I have always been that child to where if you ask me, I'm just going to tell you the truth. Like, fuck it. It is what it is. You deal with it because shit, I've been dealing with it this long. So I told her, I said, I keep having these dreams of this little girl being, I'm assuming she's either molested or raped. And I feel her pain and I feel like I'm a pedophile because I keep having these dreams. I said every night for as long as I can remember, when I would close my eyes, I would see these things. And I told her the same things I saw that I told you guys. I would see the little boy. I described her what he looked like. I would see the pamper with the red blood in the seat. And then I would see absolutely nothing but pitch black, but I would feel excruciating pain. And so I expected when I opened my eyes from expressing it to her, because it's not something that you, I don't know, maybe some people couldn't like express that type of shit to people. And it would be like a thing where they could look like dead in your eyes and it'd be like, okay, look, this is what I dealt with. And they're looking at you like right in your eyes. I couldn't because I was so ashamed of the fact that this was even coming out of my mouth. I love kids. I was an advocate for abuse. Like it didn't make any sense to me, right? So I was ashamed. So I had my eyes closed as I'm telling her and tears are running down my face. Mind you, I'm at the bottom of the stairs. My brothers are upstairs. My dad is upstairs and I am feeling like shit. I have to tell my mom, we don't have the closest relationship, but she is pressuring me and I had the whole mind of fuck it. This is what I'm dealing with. 
So I'm telling her this and I'm feeling like the scum of the earth. I don't even think, I feel like the scum of the earth would have been Jesus compared to what I was feeling like. I felt so low, so disgusting and so, I don't even know, like I just felt like worthy, worthy, worthiness, if that's a word. Like I didn't feel like there was any value to me. Like I wanted her to like flip out and chop off my head. Like that's how bad I felt. And so I opened up my eyes and I remember tears running down. I remember not even looking dead at her. I remember looking up and thinking, God, like I am a fucking mess. Like this is bullshit. Like I can't even believe I just told this lady this. She getting ready to go tell all of her saints. Like I just, and then in the other part of me was like, I give two fucks. Tell them because half of them probably ever dealt with this. Who knows, right? And so I looked at her and her face was perplexed. (sighs) Her face was like, I can't even describe it like she had this like she had seen a ghost or like the truth had been told on her and she had been trying to keep a secret. And when I tell you, it like took the tears from me and it made me think like, what the fuck? Like, why do you look like that? And so I thought maybe she had been through what I went through. And I said, did you hear what I said? And she said, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I heard you. Yeah, I. I. she was like, I heard everything that you said on Terika everything and her face was so like it went from perplexed to distraught and I thought oh fuck maybe she feels like me I shouldn't have said nothing like now I got her hurting and I can't even be there as a shoulder for her to cry on because I'm dealing with it myself but now I got to push my feelings to the side and make sure that my mom is cool and I said you okay? And she said, uh, 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 I will be. And I thought, what the fuck? So me with my Aquarius mind, I had to step out of the situation and look and I'm thinking, what the fuck? Like (laughs) what's really going on? Like, why are you, why are you acting like this? Why are you looking like that? Why, what, wait, 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 wait. If I was a parent and my child just came to me and told me that she is having torturing, antagonizing dreams about her being, you know, basically tortured and uh, violated in her vaginal area as a kid, why, mm, something's not right. Why are you looking like that? Why do you look like you want to cry? And I said, mom, did you hear what I said? And she took a deep breath in and she said this. I prayed you never remember. I cannot even, (laughs) I cannot even begin to tell you how my world crumbled. I cannot even begin to tell you how my emotions they shattered and it was crazy because they shattered and they grew if that made sense like they they grew into something bigger than what they were if that made I don't even know how to explain it but it felt like there was a breaking away of me like a freedom and then a caging and oppression of me like I felt like shit and I said what did you just say and I could see tears welling up in her eyes and she said my god I prayed I prayed I prayed that you would never remember you were so young you were so young and I prayed that you would never remember 